The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Well, today I'm actually uh, going to participate in your summer uh, sermon series, and we're going to be looking at what I understand to be the, the final of the six distinctives, or what we now call attributes, of a local church. And these are definitive. We believe Scripture defines local churches in these, in these ways, and that's why the series this summer is called This Is Who We Are. Uh, and, and I feel right at home uh, to, coming to talk about this because Radiant Church is also a part of the Great Commission Collective. We have the same commitments, and we phrase them in the same way, that we are committed to the same six attributes that you are here at Redemption Bible Church. So... As a matter of fact, Blair specifically asked if I would speak on this particular uh, one of the attributes, passionate worship or unashamed worship, and um, because he knew that I have been preaching on this theme for the entire ministry year of, uh, fr- fr- from September of last year until uh, June of this year. We've done a, a, a ministry year long, like an eight-month long sermon series on the theme of worship as it occurs in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, because this is so definitive of who we are as the local church. Now, <clears throat> I, I told Blair, well, I, you know, we just, we just did a series that was like 20, I don't know, 27 sermons long, or not, not quite, 23 sermons long on worship. Like, how much time have I got on, uh, you know, on Sunday morning? And he said, 40 minutes or so. And I said, okay, cool. Um, Let's go to Romans chapter 12. And so you could turn there as we begin thinking about passionate or unashamed worship. Our theme this morning is the heart of worship. The heart of worship. You see, when we talk about, a lo- uh, when we talk about us as a local church being committed to unashamed worship, or sometimes it's phrased in the GCC, it's phrased as passionate worship, we talk about being committed to passionate worship or unashamed worship, we immediately think our, our, our thoughts go toward meeting together in this room, you know, with the lights kind of the way they were, with a band up here playing music, and the rest of us singing along passionately, unashamedly. Some of us closing our eyes, lifting our hands, some of us clapping along, whatever it might be, however the Lord leads us to respond, singing our hearts out. That's what we think of. And we think, yeah, I want to be at a church that's committed to passionate worship. I mean, don't you? I want to be in the room every Sunday morning with people who love to proclaim, like like Peter says, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into into his light. We're not going to talk about that this morning. Because what we just thought about there, what I just described what we just experienced all together, which was wonderful, by the way. What we all just experienced together is not the heart of worship. It's the outflow of worship. Can I give you some bad news this morning? You can show up at church on Sunday morning and you can smile and shake hands and have great conversations and drink the amazing coffee and come into the service, you can be on time for the service. 
like in your seat when the first like guitar sound is heard. Only the most spiritual people are here on time. You understand that, right? You can participate. You can sing with all your heart. You can shed tears at the singing of, of the truth of the gospel and at the preaching of the word. But, just, but, but you know, it's possible to do all of that and not be a worshiper. It's possible to do all of that and think that you're committed to unashamed worship when in reality, like Jesus said, quoting Isaiah, your lips speak the words, but your heart is far from me. It's possible to go through the motions and not be a worshiper. You see, worship arises from inside. It arises from the heart. And it often involves activities like the ones that we just did. And praise God, we can gather on a Sunday and do those things. But in Scripture, there's a very different picture. And, you know, we know this. Any of you who have been a Christian for long enough to read the Psalms, at least, you've heard the words of Scripture where God says through the psalmist, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. It's not the offering that's laid on the altar, the animal, you know, in the Old Testament, bringing an animal, laying the offering on the altar and making the sacrifice. It's not the sacrifice. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. So even in the Old Testament, which we associate with outward rituals, and there were many of them, even there, worship was a matter of the heart. It's something deeper. In fact, understanding worship strikes at the heart of what it means to be human. Because God created us for worship. You can develop that through the first few chapters of Genesis. We won't go there today. But God created us for worship. And when you read the scriptures from beginning to end, you find that the reason why God is saving people, why God is saving sinners, why he's redeeming them out of their darkness, breaking their chains and setting them free and paying the penalty for their sin, is in order to restore the worship that he intended for the human race at the beginning. Read Revelation 21 and 22 and you'll find that the final state of redeemed humanity is to live forever in the presence of God, worshiping him. So, this is not just about who we are as a church, as a local church, but who we are as redeemed. will be successful as worship until your heart is recalibrated to what it means to be a worshiper. So today, in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, which I believe, I, I, I think of Romans 12, 1 and 2 as the, the central passage on worship in the whole Bible, okay? So I'm putting a lot of pressure on this sermon. We're going to see two commitments of a worshiping heart. Two commitments that define what it means to have a worshiping heart. We're just going to look at the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. But in this context, you understand, Paul has just been, uh, uh, has just been rehearsing the glories of salvation. From chapters, chapter 1 to chapter 11. The, the beauty of what it means that Jesus came because we were unable to save ourselves, but he humbled himself. God the Son humbled himself, came to earth as a human. He took on human flesh along with its frailties, and he lived a perfect life. He didn't sin once, and he died a sacrificial death 
in our place so that when we come to him by faith, having realized we can't save ourselves, he welcomes us into his family. And our heavenly father credits what Jesus did to us. His death becomes my death and his resurrection life becomes my resurrection life and I can worship again. That's the gospel. Paul's been rehearsing this for the past 11 chapters. And then he looks, and then he, he sort of turns the page. And he says, starting in chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, formed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you may actually have these verses memorized. And here we find, and it won't be a surprise when you see it, we find the two commitments that define a worshiping heart. The first one is this, and it's in verse 1. The first commitment is a worshiper responds to God's mercy. A worshiper responds to God's mercy. The point that Paul is going to make here has to do with our whole life and how it relates to worship. Paul says, I appeal to you. He's coming to you as a brother, by the way. He's not coming down on us here. He says the word appeal specifically in order to sort of like come alongside and put put his arm around us and say, listen, did you hear everything that I just said? Did you hear everything that I just said about what God has done for us in Christ by the power of the Spirit? If you understand that, I'm appealing to you now by the mercies of God. And he uses the term mercy to summarize the gospel. I mean, if you just uh, scroll up a little bit or look up on the page, he uses the word mercy just a few verses, uh, uh, just a few verses above. In chapter 11, verse 31, he says, so they too have now been speaking of the, he's talking about Jew and Gentile here. Uh, they too have now been disobedient in order that By the mercy shown to you, the Gentiles, they, the Israelites, may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And then he takes a deep breath and he, you know, he has this little hymn of praise there at the end of chapter 11. And then he says, okay, because of all this mercy that I've been telling you about, I'm making an appeal to you. The gospel is an expression of God's mercy. It's not just a, jet, a get, get out of, uh, of jail free, you know, get out of hell free card. It's an outpouring of God's mercy, and that should do something to us. Here's what it should do. It should prompt us, he says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, in case you're thinking, why would he say bodies? Let me just get this out of the way. Body, the bo- he's not saying... Give your body as, a, as an offering to the Lord, but your soul, you can keep that for yourself. He's not like drawing a separation between the two. He's actually uniting the two, body and soul together. How do we live out our inner life? We do it through this body that God's given us, right? So if our bodies are devoted to him, it's another way of saying devote your whole life. Present your whole life as a living sacrifice. I'm going to skip the word living for now. We're going to come back to it. Present yourself, your whole self, Deuteronomy says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and all of your strength. It's that kind of an emphasis that he's making. Present it as a sacrifice to God. 
You can wrap up the entire Old Testament into this statement. The whole Old Testament uh, 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 program of worship, you can wrap the whole thing up into this little appeal. Remember, in the Old Testament, they, the, the Israelites had a covenant with God. He made a covenant with them at Sinai. It started with the Ten Commandments, and he gave them more laws and he said, now this is how you're going to have fellowship with me. And they would, uh, they would bring sacrifices. Well, we won't get into all the details, but there were five basic kinds of sacrifices. And they would bring them to the Lord according to his commandments, right? On the occasions that he said. Bring the sacrifice. They would bring the animal. Sometimes there would be other kinds of food involved, grain or, or wine, various things. You would offer on the altar to God. You offer them to him for covenant fellowship. They were, not play, they, they were not putting offerings on the altar in order to get saved, to use New, Terminant, uh, New Testament terms. They weren't putting offerings on the altar in order to get saved, but in order to maintain their covenant fellowship with God. Remember, uh, faith was how sinners have always been saved. They would bring their sacrifices by faith, and, and, and by faith they would trust that God would receive them in the covenant that he had made for them. Well, Paul has already pointed to Christ as the final offering for sin. Here, the emphasis is on living devotedly. Understand? Living devotedly. We use the example of the burnt offering, the, the, the whole burnt offering in the Old Testament. You bring the whole burnt offering and you offer it to God. The, the, you, you would lay your hand as the one who's making the offering, right? You would lay your hand on the head of the animal. You would confess your sins. And then the priest would slaughter the animal place it on the altar, and the whole thing would be burned up. The whole thing would go up in smoke. Now, in addition to giving us a picture of substitution, the animal is dying instead of me. I deserve what is about to happen to this animal because of my sin. I confess my sin. I lay my head or my, my hand on the head of the animal, and I'm sort of figuratively transferring my sin to the animal. And so I'm, 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 as I worship the Lord, I am acknowledging this picture, through this picture of, of sacrifice that I deserve the death that this animal is going to die. So the animal dies in my place. The second thing that this offering pictures is devotion. Because the whole animal is being offered up to the Lord. Nothing is kept for myself. There were other offerings where that was, that was the case, or part of it was given to the priest. I'm offering the whole animal up. The whole thing goes up in smoke. And that was a way of saying, I am devoting my whole life to serve you, Lord. Paul says, present your whole self as an offering to the Lord. Present your whole self, just like the animal going up in smoke, as an offering to the Lord. And, and, and most translations say, you know, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And it takes living and sort of splits it apart from the other two. But all three of them occur together in the original. It's a list of three, three characteristics. So we are to present our whole lives to God, our whole lives, alive, holy, and pleasing to God. When Paul says alive, he's not saying, he's not saying, do, you know, present yourself alive. God's not asking you to kill yourself. That's not what he's saying. In Romans 6, he has just talked about how we have new life in Christ. That Jesus died and his death becomes our death by faith. Jesus rose again and his resurrection life becomes our resurrection life by faith. 
So he says, now that you have been made alive, present yourself as a sacrifice. You see? You have this new life, he says. Now live it. He says, your your, your offering is to be holy. Holy means to be separated. It means to be apart from. It means you're different now. Just like the, the, the animal in the Old Testament was set apart. It had to be a spotless animal. It had to have no defects. It had to be different. He says, now, present your bodies, uh, your, your whole lives, as a sacrifice to be lived out in holiness, in devotion to the Lord. And, uh, and, and the third is acceptable or pleasing. Because God receives us in order to make us, through Jesus Christ, he makes us acceptable to himself. In our sinful state, we're not acceptable to God. One of the sermons in in my series on worship was just titled, Unacceptable. And we walked through how sin has separated us from God in such a way that we are not acceptable in his presence now. We cannot be accepted before him. Jesus makes us acceptable. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. I come to him by faith and I say, I cannot save myself. So he offers himself in my place and I am now acceptable to my heavenly father. Isn't that amazing? So he says, Paul is saying, okay, now live like this. You've got new life. You've been set apart wholly unto life. This, offering yourself, this is the heart of worship. Not to go to a building and to walk through a series of rituals. Not to attend a weekly program with other people who look and think like you do. Worship is to give your whole life to the Lord. To be lived out in a way that is living the new life that is holy and that is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is your spiritual service of worship. And all of this comes because of the great mercies of God. That's what it means to be a worshiper. A worshiper responds to God's mercy. I use that word respond because worship is always a response. It was never, as sinners, it is never our idea to worship a holy God. It only occurs to us because he has come to us, because he has revealed himself to us. We can see him through his word telling us about the person of Jesus Christ, the power of the Spirit manifested through others who know him. So the first defining feature of a worshiping heart is that a worshiper responds to God's mercy. God's great mercy in the gospel calls for this response. Repent and believe. Die and rise again to live devotedly. But this presenting, right, present, you can take the Old Testament analogy too far. You can say, present yourself as a sacrifice. Okay, so I did that. And I can tell you the date, right? It was April 23rd, 2004, or whatever. That was the day I got saved. And I presented myself to the Lord. Someone once said, The problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. I'm guilty as charged. Okay? 
That's the story of my life too. The problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. So the call here is not to this is not to do this one and done thing. Where I go to this, I go to church one day, or maybe it was at home, and a family member or a friend led me to Christ, and I've presented. I mean, you didn't even know what that meant, right? The day that you came to Jesus, if your faith is in Jesus today, the day that you came to Him in faith, all you knew was that you needed a Savior. I mean, you may have known more than that. Maybe you had been in church or learned the Bible a lot before you actually came to genuine faith in Jesus. But once you walk through that door of faith, the Lord says, okay, you're mine now. And the Bible says things like, you've been bought with a price. You are not your own. So glorify God in your body. No matter what you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all with the sense that you believe. How well are you doing today on that? The problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. So the call is to, like uh, someone once said, to preach the gospel to yourself every day. The call is to remember every day the great mercies of God and to once again, with a fresh heart of faith, with a fresh heart of gratitude to say, God, I belong to you. I offer myself back to you as a sacrifice. Sacrifice of worship. Second, in verse 2, a worshiper submits to God's will. So first, a worshiper responds to God's mercy. Second, a worshiper submits to God's will. I love this. Paul says in verse 2, uh, and do not be, and the word and is supposed to be there, okay? Every now and then the Bible nerds in your life, you know, will say something like, they left a word out in this translation. And so I'm here to be that, that guy, sorry. These two verses are tightly connected. And it makes sense when it goes into English to delete the word and, because sometimes you can get too many ands when you do that. But these two verses are closely connected. Present yourself as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your proper spiritual worship in response to God's mercy. And, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable, and perfect. Paul says, do not, as the, if you are going to live a life of worship, if you are going to be a worshiper, that is going to involve a transformation. And once again, he's not talking about a one and done, moment in time kind of, uh, of thing, you know, where like you crawl out of your sinful cocoon and now you're this beautiful holy butterfly. It just doesn't work like that, does it? It's like the whole Christian life is struggling to get out of the cocoon. And when Jesus comes back, we finally get to be the, I don't know. I wasn't planning on that illustration, so it probably goes wrong in various ways. Forget about that. It's going, a life of worship is going to involve a transformation. And that transformation happens over time. And so it's something that you must be committed to daily. He says, do not be conformed to this world. And by, by world, by the way, he means this age. 
like the spirit of the age. Don't be conformed to this world. To be conformed to something means to pick up its patterns, right? It means to act like something else, to pick up the patterns of, let those patterns be imprinted on you. A silly little illustration. Um, some months ago, in my, I have a study at home, and um, my wife decided I need a new rug for my study, and I'm never aware of things like that. It's like either the chair is comfortable or it's not, and if the chair is comfortable, I'm good. You can make the room look however you want, sweetie. I'm fine. But um, because it's the first room you see when you walk in our front door, she's kind of sensitive to how it looks, you know? So she said, you need a new rug. Fine. You get me a new rug, babe. I'll be happy with whatever you get. And so I had a rectangular rug in there before, but she bought me a, a new rug, and it's beautiful, and it's circular. And in my, like, in my quirky little world, when I'm thinking about something, when I'm studying, when I'm trying to figure out how to word something, I'll pace, pace around the room, pace across the, the house and back, walk down the street and back, whatever. But I'll, I'll just pace a lot. You know what happened when she bought that circular rug? I started pacing in circles. And I didn't even realize I was doing it until I started to get dizzy. No. I started pacing. Why? Because this new pattern presented itself, and I just, without even thinking about it, I adapted myself to this pattern. Isn't that weird? I see it on the playground. I have uh, f- four grandchildren. Three of them are, are grandsons. And they're all just about to have birthdays, so there'll be five uh Five, four, and two. And the little one, okay, he's not quite two yet. You watch them on the playground. And whatever the big boys are doing, the little guy wants to do, right? They take off, they're playing with the thing over here in the sand or the whatever, and the other two boys say, hey, let's do this. And they start running across the playground. Well, the little one, his name is Kellen. He doesn't know why. He just starts running across the playground. He has no idea why. He just wants to be one of the crowd. Because that's what we do. We conform ourselves to the patterns that we find around us. Paul says, don't do that. As a matter of fact, you could translate it, stop doing that. As a person who has been redeemed and is now living a life of worship, whose body has been presented to the Lord, Lord, everything that comes from this person, I want it to be an act of worship to you. You have to stop living like the world. He said, instead, be transformed. Not conformed, but transformed. Be transformed. And let's, let me tell you, I, I, I've already said this, but fun thing about the, the way the Bible is written, especially in the New Testament, like the, the form that a, the word is in, like this one, be transformed, is sometimes super important. And it even comes through in English. It's what we would call, which both in English and Greek, a passive. Be transformed. Paul doesn't say transform yourselves. He doesn't say that. He says be transformed. But it, So it's passive. It means someone else has to do the transforming in me. But it's also in the present tense, which for a command means to get yourself into this state and stay there. So continually exist, live your life in the state of being transformed. 
How's that for an overcomplicated translation? He's saying there's a, 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 the new pattern of your life, instead of the pattern of the age, the new pattern of your life, if you're going to be a worshiper, is to be putting yourself under the constant transforming work of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't mention the Spirit here, but just keep reading. He's already talked about the Spirit in chapter 8. He's going to say more in chapter 12. But he says, this is the new pattern of your life. The new pattern is to, and I'm going to use the word, submit. To submit yourself to the transforming work of God on a continual, progressive basis. I've come through studying over the last year, actually it was a study a number of years ago, that the fundamental attitude of a worshiper is submission. And I think that is represented here as clearly as anywhere else in the Bible. Be being transformed. You can't be a worshiper if you are not submissive to the transforming work of God in your life. That's a game changer, folks. Where we have this external idea of worship, that worship, that you're a worshiper if you go to things. Paul is saying, you are a worshiper if you undergo the transforming work of God on a, re- on a regular basis and devote your life to be lived for his glory. Otherwise, you can't be, no matter how many Christian-y kinds of things that you do, you're not worshiping. So, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed be in the state constantly of being transformed. To actively submit. This idea of a passive command is so important. There are very few of them in the, in the New Testament. One of them is in Ephesians 5, where Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Same thing. Be in the constant state of submitting yourself to the filling work to the work of the Holy Spirit so that he more and more controls your life. I was trying to think of an analogy for this. And I thought of a time when one of our favorite places in the world, my family, especially my wife and I, one of our favorite places in the world is Jackson, Wyoming. We love it there. Because we like to hike, and the hiking is like unparalleled. Grand Teton National Park, you're just a couple hours away from Yosemite, and then in the other areas surrounding this, this high valley of, of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Beautiful, beautiful place. One of the great things to do there is to go canoeing or kayaking on the Snake River. And if you go later in the summer, it's very calm. There, you know, there's not, there aren't any rapids or anything unless you go way, way down in the canyon. But um, after all, this, the main part of the snow melt is done. It's just a beautiful experience. And the summers are just gorgeous. I mean... Summer is like three weeks long there, but you got to be there at the right time. But canoeing down the Snake River was so much fun. And the key was to get yourself into the current, right? Get the canoe or the kayak into the current and let the current carry you in the right direction. Now, that doesn't mean we didn't do anything. That doesn't, you know, we, it's, we weren't like kicking back, taking a nap. We weren't just sitting there enjoying the scenery. We had, to, we had to paddle as well. 
Why? Because you have to steer. You got to keep the canoe pointing straight. You got to maneuver yourself around the obstacles that are going to come. There's boulders, there's logs, right? Every now and then, like a carcass of an elk or something. You got to steer around these things, but the current is going to take you where you need to go. And I think that's a really nifty little analogy for what it means, for what Paul is saying here. Be transformed. Listen, God will do the transforming work. Stay in that current. What does that mean? I think it goes back to verse one. Offer yourself. Say, Lord, I'm yours. Do with me as you will. But the key then is not just to say those words, but to follow through. To follow through. What does this transformation look like? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. By the renewal of your mind. It's not an outward thing that's imprinted on me, right? It's not, you know, like I was raised in a very fundamentalist kind of world where everything was basically external. You got to dress a certain way and you got to avoid lots of things, right? A lot of do nots, a lot of don'ts in my, the world that I grew up in, right? You don't drink, smoke, chew, or go with girls who do. And if you follow these basic rules and avoid these things, then you're living a life that's pleasing to God. Paul says, no, that's actually backwards. You submit yourself to him. He renews you here. You start thinking about yourself differently. You start thinking about the world differently. And guess what happens? You become able to discern what the will of God is. The result of inner renewal is that we can see and do that which is pleasing to God. We, we're list people, aren't we? So many of us. Just give me a list of the things I'm supposed to do and not do. Okay, here's the list. Give yourself to the Lord on a daily basis. Submit to his transforming work hour by hour. Staying in fellowship with God's people who also love him and are trying to follow him. And guess what? You're going to know what to do. You'll know what to do. You say, well, can't you just give me a list? I can't do better than what God has already given us. It's here. So, when we're transformed, when God transforms our mind and our heart so that we think differently, we will begin to put off the patterns of the world. So what kind of patterns are you talking about? I don't want to think about trite stuff, the stuff that everybody knows is bad. Let's get more relevant. Let's get more timely. How about patterns of anger and hatred that lead to polarization? That lead to hating other people because of their political convictions? Or because of what they think about masks and vaccinations? That's the pattern of the world, folks. God has called us to be renewed on the inside so that we don't, we're not attracted to those patterns anymore. Instead, we're attracted to Christ who produces in us things like love, joy, peace. I was thinking about this week. You realize that peace is a fruit of the Spirit? I'm going to be honest. I forgot that. And I was in a place where my, my soul was just not at peace for a variety of reasons. Just not at peace. And God convicted me. Peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
if I'm submitting myself to be renewed from the inside out, God will work peace in my heart even when my circumstances are in turmoil. He will help me to love those who think differently than I do for for Jesus' sake. So, your life will change from the inside out when you're a worshiper. You can come and you can come to all of the, the things. You can do all the things, right? Sunday, church, small group. You can serve in kids' ministry, which is where the godliest people are, right? You know that. You can make coffee, which is where the second godliest people are. You can do all of these things, all the things. You can go to the extra Bible study, do all the homework, read all the books. But if you're not being transformed on the inside, then you will not be committed to unashamed worship. That's where this commitment begins. The inner transformation that God works is the result of new life that gives new perspective, new desires. And I see what God wants, and when I see what he wants, I want that too. That's, the tra- that's a worshiping heart. So we're going to be committed to passionate, unashamed worship. If the answer is yes, then that is a matter for you and the Lord to deal with together. Lord, am I a worshiper? Is my heart a worshiping heart? Putting aside everything that I do to be a part of Redemption Bible Church, Lord, do you have my heart on a daily basis? Am I submitting myself to the ongoing work of your Holy Spirit? By now, if you're tuned in to what God is saying in this passage, by now, he's probably beginning to convict you of the, like the little dark corners in your heart that, you, that you're holding back for him. Say, Lord, I'm submitted to all the work that you want to do in my life except for that little piece. That's the difference between being conformed to this world and being a worshiper. Bow your heads with me. And I want you to just take this to the Lord. Between you and the Lord, ask the Lord to convict you. Do you pray that prayer? Lord, convict me. Show me the truth about myself. Take it from the opposite angle. Do you want Redemption Bible Church to be, to be a successful church? And by that, I don't mean large numbers. I mean, by successful, I mean being what Jesus wants his church to be. Do you want Redemption Bible Church to be a successful church? If so, you'll be committed to unashamed, passionate worship. But in order to do that, you have to be willing to daily pray sweet and dangerous prayer. Lord, I belong to you. Lord, I give myself to you today. Use me entirely, body and soul, for the glory of your son, Jesus. Transform me from the inside out. 
Lord, make us people that long for that prayer to be answered in our lives. Teach us to let go of the things that stand in the way of the transformation that you have in store for us. The beautiful trans being transformed from one degree of glory into another as we behold the beauty of Jesus Christ. Lord, teach us to let go of those things that we hold on and to see them as you see them as rubbish, as garbage. And teach us to let go of them for the glory of knowing you, the glory of a life that is lived not just on Sundays, but every day as a life of worship. Make this true for us. Make this true for Redemption Bible Church. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.